0: Well sounds good.
1: Take your sticking paws off me, you damn dirty ape!
2: It's the Stinking Pause podcast. Hi, Scott here. Not with Charlie or Paul this week. Two special guests. With me, my co-host from the Real Britannia podcast, Stephen. Good morning, mate. Morning, mate. Happy to be here. Excellent. Good to be doing the Stinking pause again. And also from the Glass Onion on John Lennon podcast, Film Gold, it's our friend Anthony. Hello, mate. Hello. How are you doing? Excellent stuff to see you. Excellent to see you, mate. It's I'm,
3: um, it's actually June the nineteenth, and you probably know that yesterday was uh, Paul McCartney's birthday, wasn't
2: it? Eightieth birthday. He, yeah. he turned
3: eighty. You know, <laughs> talked about the Beatles. You know, <laughs> that's all I can say. It's just got the Beatles referencing. Now I'm, I'm,
2: I'm waiting to see if you come up with a Beatles or a Lennon reference uh, throughout this. It's minute. got fuck all to do with the it, film. No. Nothing, there's nothing. There's nothing you can no. find. I bet somebody will find something if they look deeper. Something will come Stern up. Rose Stone Roses. Stone Roses, but not the Beatles. Yeah. False
3: gold. Yeah, yeah, I did see that one,
2: yeah. yeah. Uh, I, I might think of something during the conversation, we'll see. <laughs> something <laughs> will come to us. Something <laughs> will come to yeah. us. Um, I'm going to ask this question of Stephen first. Treasure of the Sierra Marjor- ladies and gents, is the film we're covering today. Classic bit of Houston and Bogart. Anthony sent me a little text in the week, Stephen, that intrigued me uh, with regard to this movie. So I'm going to ask you this question first before I ask Anthony to sort of elaborate on the text. You are pretty much a massive Bogart fan, aren't you? I certainly know you you, you love Lauren Bacall and that era of of movie-making, you know, the Warner Brothers
0: stuff in the 40s, the 50s, whatever. Have you seen this before? I have, although this is only the third time I think I've seen it. Yeah. And the first time I saw it is one of those where it just doesn't count because it's too early in your Mm -hmm. level of appreciation to get it. So, yeah, this is the the third time, and, and... the best watch i've had of it. Ooh, okay so big
2: fan of bogart you've always admired him you you know all his other work and stuff yeah
0: yeah
2: yeah um, yeah fun yeah okay well this is the the text that anthony sent me in the week was looking forward to seeing you guys on sunday watch the movie and it has totally changed my outlook on bogart wasn't it or something like that or his acting ability anthony i can't remember yeah it.
3: I think you've added a bit of hyperbole to Have it. Have I? Yeah, Go on. That, that was uh, no, <laughs> the yeah.
2: So, had you seen this before? You hadn't then, I take it.
3: Well, uh, as Stephen just said, I think I'd seen it once, but it's so long ago mm. that I didn't remember a single thing. So, I'm, gonna, I'm calling it first watch. Okay. And I suppose really what I meant was, I think with Bogart... I wrote down the ones I'd seen before: Maltese Falcon, Casablanca, and The African Queen. And I remembered The African Queen. I remembered he was sort of more rugged, sort of unshaven. I remember. I thought I like him so much more like that because I just don't buy him as a, a leading man. He, in Casablanca, because he's got that square-jawed kind of Richard Nixon. Ed Sullivan, who famously had the Beatles on his show in 1964, <laughs> if you remember, Scott. Um, sorry. And, uh, <laughs> Is this how it's going to be? Or? Yeah, every five minutes now. I, d- I don't really I d- I don't really like, like Casablanca massively. I think it's a good film, but I much prefer rugged kind of Bogart, okay. you know, sort of slightly vulnerable. and uh, So, I, yeah, it just changed my opinion. But I realised, that as with John Wayne, because we did The Searches, didn't we, mm. ages ago? I hadn't actually seen many of his films. I've just, I just probably got that sort of stereotyped image stuck in my mind. So I really enjoyed him in this film. But he wasn't my favourite actor in this film. there's another person. Oh, we'll I've got
2: to. an idea who that may be. Because yes, yes. There yes. was somebody in this film that I I just couldn't take my eyes off the screen whenever he was talking. And Yeah, yeah absolutely. Absolutely, yeah. Okay, it's The Treasure of the Sierra Madre, 1948. Let's play the trailer. We'll be back after this.
4: the forbidding majesty of the great Madre range go men. Their pasts buried in silent secrecy. Their futures hidden in the mystery of adventure. Men drawn together in their search for gold. Dog, soldier of fortune. Howard, the old timer. Curtin, the youngster. And Cody, the intruder. These are the men who tried to tap the treasure of the Sierra Madre. Men with an oath on their lips and muscles in their arms but men with greed in their hearts, ready to break their backs, to sell their very souls for gold, fighting shoulder to shoulder against the forces of nature, only to find their greatest enemy is human nature.
1: Shut your trap! Shut up! I'll smash your head flat! Go ahead! Throw it! Without me, you two would die here more miserable than rats.
4: Now, leave him alone. Can't you see the old man's nuts?
1: <laughs> you're so dumb, you don't even see the riches you're trading on with your own feet! <laughs>
4: Her as far as I'm concerned, I don't want to keep that dame waiting, whoever she is.
1: We wounded this and It's our duty to close her wounds. The least we can do to show our gratitude for the wealth she's given us. You talk about that mom like it was a real woman.
4: You've been a lot better to me than any woman I ever knew. I know exactly what you mean. You want to take it all for yourself and cut me out. I know you for what you are. A long time I've had my suspicions about you. Now I know I've been right. So that's your stinking game, is it informing? I knew you was an informer. I knew it all the time. Take a look down that mountain. This means all our funerals. What's that? I'm writing what I'm thinking. May the Lord be with us. Not soldiers, they're bandits.
2: The Treasure of the Sierra Madre, released in 1948, directed by John Huston, starring Humphrey Bogart, Walter Huston, Tim Holt, Bruce Bennett, Barton Maclean, Alfonso Bedoya. Is in this Manuel Donde and a host of Mexican actors the storyline for this? Fred C. Dobbs and Bob Curtin, both down on their luck in Tampico, Mexico in 1925, meet up with a grizzled prospector named Howard and decide to join him in the search for gold in the wilds of central Mexico. Through enormous difficulties, they eventually succeed in finding gold, but bandits, the elements, and most especially greed, threaten to turn their success into disaster. That sums it up beautifully. Based on a short story or a novel, guys, because you were just saying off-air there's some controversy or some mystery surrounding who wrote this.
3: Yeah, interestingly, it was 20 years earlier because normally they, um, a novel like that, you'd imagine they'd get the film out fairly quickly. But, yeah, it's this character called B. Traven, who we think was a, a German, but it's a bit like um, Jack the Ripper. <laughs> it's five <laughs> or six different... Well, there's some theory that he's Kaiser Wilhelm's son. What? Um, <laughs> but, he's, but he's this uh, mysterious character but i, I wasn't clear stephen do you know wasn't he apparently he was sighted on the set or was he not i imagine it,
0: there was there was um when they were wanting to try and get him to come and do some technical support or, or um script advice on hmm. set They they asked him to come along and they offered him like a thousand pound thousand dollars sorry um, a week or something and mm. uh, he turned it down because he was famously a recluse but he did agree for his close personal friend to come and do instead and um, but on a reduced fee that was that was only 150 dollars a week so massive pay cut on that apparently there there was strong suspicions that he actually was uh, driven, um because there was various points um, I think John Houston's wife, who was on set for, uh, initially before she flounced off, she and John had been in in number of conversations with this guy in uh, various bits. He kept slipping into using I rather than he when referring to Beatrix and uh, you know and mm. saying my, my my novel rather than his novel and this kind of thing. <laughs> so uh, he, he let it slip a little bit there. But there was—he wouldn't be drawn on on any details. And surely, if you're a clue you don't have a close personal friend, so um, that's suspicious as well. So yeah, it, it is. There was a, definitely decided to be some kind of German link in there, but they couldn't um, get any more surety about who the guy actually was hiding behind this this name.
2: Wow. Okay. So a real mystery there, almost. Yeah. yeah. the The other thing about it is, it's a, it's a
3: very anti-capitalist novel. Mm-hmm. And I guess anti-capitalism as people are realizing more and more that the world is basically a business, uh, <laughs> that's very much a thing that's that's happening. Well, I'm sure it was before like the Great Wrath was a bit like that, I suppose. But uh, it was yeah anti-capitalist in a time when there probably wasn't much of that going around
0: 1927. So yeah. change well, it changed a fair amount at, at the time of it being written, particularly with Eastern, you know, well European and particularly uh, Central and Eastern European. Um, Emigrators to the new world. If certainly, it was in the newer stages of the the Bolshevik Revolution in uh, Russia. And also, the, you you got to remember at this time there were some serious clashes in other countries, such as Germany, whereby you know it was very polarized. That it, if things had, had gone even just slightly differently, you wouldn't have had the Nazis rise to power. You would have had mm. um, the communists instead. So there were, at that time and there was when it was written and released there was a lot more of this anti-capitalist and sort of radical left-wing thinking amongst the type of people that this was about really in some ways. Mm-hmm. So um but by the time it got released because it was originally planned to be done just before um the second world war started and got mm-hmm. got stopped and that Caused the change in cast for what was originally envisioned, but so yeah, so there's a little bit in there with regards to the timing, reflecting when it was written more than the actual um the the, ta- the thinking of the people at the time. Because you would have expected if this had been done ten years later than it actually was released, you would have imagined it would have been part of um, suspicions for the, the the McCarthy trials, the Red oh, Scare. Yeah, yeah. What yeah, yeah. actually
2: happened? Oh. Vincent Sherman, who was uh, a contract director at Warner's, was set to direct it during the war years, um, oh. sometime between 1939 and forty-five. But apparently what happened, he fell foul of the 1930 motion picture production code because his version was quite derogatory towards the Mexicans. So they scrapped it, apparently. Uh, Warner's held this property for quite a while. and The original cast, which is a great cast, but it is very classic. This might be a bit... I don't know. I don't think this would have worked quite as well. But they they envisioned George Raft, Edward G. Robinson and John Garfield as the three leads.
0: Who were all great. And I loved seeing, loved seeing them in various things. But I, I agree, I don't think it would have worked as well for this. So
2: he's, he's, I, I really just picture a gangster movie in Mexico when you see those three mm, together. Yeah. That's, <laughs> yeah. that's all you can vision I with. I think, you think maybe Edward G Robinson,
3: so he would have been the Walter Houston part, of obviously. And, I'm assuming so, yeah, good. because
2: Garfield would have been younger. Yeah, yeah. Interesting, yeah. And Houston didn't read the novel till 1935, sort of seven, eight years after it was published. And he always thought that the... Um, the movie would be great if he had his father playing that role. Mm. And he'd always envisioned it. Um, so, one thing I just read you're talking about Traven. The actual book written by Traven was based on a ballad by a
0: German poet. Oh.
2: This gets more no. and more of a mystery, that's, doesn't it? It's...
0: That's where the German, yeah, that's where the German uh, link comes in. That the, not many people would have known about that ballad unless you were actually German. You say or no, had some German, German, German connections, yes. <laughs> um, and the 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 actual novel is is then expanded out of that because it's basically three stories within a story. Oh, uh, right, in right. a way, um, and which isn't captured in the the film. Certainly, it. it it's a lot more gritty and bloody. I mean, certainly the, the finale for one of the characters in the book is oh, well, a lot more gruesome.
2: Talk about that because yeah. I know that story, mate. Yeah, it's the, um, yeah. the attack with a machete towards the end. Yeah. Um. In in the book, he's actually decapitated, and they filmed it. They actually filmed oh, mm-hmm. it with, with the head rolling off. Um, oh. But then if you watch, what actually happens is when the Mexican bandit in the final version, lifts up the machete. You see it come crashing down. Camera cuts away to the reaction for another Mexican. Then they repeat that same shot of the Mexican bringing the machete down again. It's exactly the same yeah. shot on a loop. But they film the head rolling off. <laughs> wow. So, yeah, they, they obviously couldn't use that. Humphrey Bogart was, well, I don't know why they can't actually use that. Humphrey Bogart, when he heard that um, Houston was planning to film it, he started badgering him, basically, because... Um, they'd worked together, hadn't they? Obviously in Morty's Falcon before, mm. and Humphrey Bogart wanted a sort of a change of direction because he was known for gangster movies and and you know being like a hard hard bitten hard boiled you know detective, private detective or whatever. Yeah, um, and there's a great quote when he was finally given the role, um, he was leaving a New York nightclub, so he was getting pretty he was preparing for this you know traveling down to Mexico. yeah. yeah. You know the quote, Stephen. Yeah, I do. Yeah, he yeah. meets a critic. Who asked him a couple of questions, and Bogart just said, "Wait, you, wait till you see me in my next picture. I'm going to play <laughs> the worst shit you ever saw." He's... <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't fault all three leads in this movie at all, guys. I mean, let's let's just talk about the Bogart himself. I mean, th- let's talk about this this revelation that you've had, and mm. you know. so now you've got you've got rough and ready Bogart. Apart from the bit where he goes into the barbers. Oh, can I talk about that? Yeah, yeah there's it's a very amazing haircut you've ever seen.
0: <laughs> do you know what's coming? Or no, no. Well, I've got a comment on that. So if sure. you is, oh, what...
3: is, it, is it something if to it... do with the Northern
0: no. Uh, musician? Or... No, 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 oh, it's, okay. no. It's it's actually to do with hair. So you can't. You well, well, mine,
3: mine's slightly to do with hair. When he comes out of the barbers, he's got that like ridiculously slicked down hair. <laughs> I just thought he looks exactly like George Formby. All all he needed was a ukulele because <laughs> he he's this very thin, quite short guy with this ridiculously slicked hair. I'd, I'd and, uh,
0: tell anyway, that just flashed way. through my mind, yeah. but it didn't spoil it didn't spoil <laughs> his credibility. <laughs>
2: uh, Stephen, what was you gonna say?
0: Well, I going to say that in the barbers. Um, there's a point where he's he's lent way back in the chair, and the barber's doing all the flourishing of going around mm. cutting the hair and, and combing it and waxing everything, and. If you if you see carefully, you can spot that there's a, a an obvious sign that he, that the wig slips a bit, um, uh. because he he has to wear a wig throughout this entire thing because unfortunately Bogart was him and Lauren McCall were trying for for a child and he was obviously with his alcoholism and other things he was he was quite deficient in a lot of ways <laughs> um, as, and he was on medication to try and and, and basically boost his is uh, fertility mm-hmm. and um, the medication caused hair loss? Uh, uh, so he's having to wear a wig, Whoa. and then they do this. Then they do this scene where where he's got this flourishing barber with him, lent way back in the chair, and and it, it sort of flips up a little bit at the front, showing a bit more of a, of a, a larger forehead than really you should have been. Um, but oh, um, I'm going I, I You know, I noticed that because just because I, I I knew about the wig in the first place.
3: So. The 1940s Viagra, blimey, the mind boggles.
0: Imagine what that might
2: have been. God, knows <laughs> yeah. who knows what he was prescribed. Yeah, Obviously yeah. not tested with the dangerous side effects of losing his hair. Um, mm. So, yeah, so come on, we've, we've got Humphrey Bogart now, and you're, you're watching yes. this, Anthony, and you're learning to love him as this is going on, I take it, then. It's just like, wow, this is a different side to a different depth to the actor, yeah?
0: Yeah,
3: well, I watched this documentary that 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 I definitely recommend to the listeners. And um, yeah, I mean, he spent apparently he spent years as a B actor mm. as a sort of fairly expendable as a character. He, he would get, he'd be a gangster that get killed off and he spent years um, building and building himself up basically. And um, I suppose I have a little prejudice against this kind of era and that people like probably Clark Gable more than him. They always just seem too smooth and you never see them sort of vulnerable or anything. So it was nice to see him, although I had seen The African Queen, and even though that was when I was about 15 or something stupid yeah. like that, I remember just loving that, Like, and I'd love to watch that again, and that's John Huston, isn't it?
2: Yeah, I watched um, it again recently at Christmas, and it still holds on, mm, that movie, absolutely, yeah. yeah. I think you've but, got uh, a point, I am going to so say, you a... think
0: you've got a point, Anthony, because, you know, this is a, a part of the reason why I do uh, like Bogart, is because I went through the same kind of thing I, I, although I you know I liked what he, I saw of him doing of the film noir playing Sam Spade and stuff mm-hmm. I kind of saw him a bit as a as a stereotype yes. Um you know did that well but it was very limited what his range was and then subsequently saw more of his his back catalogue and then realised oh no actually he's a really good actor and he did he maybe got pigeonholed but when he did like this that we're talking about today. Um, when he got the opportunity to show range, he he, he was able to do it and and mm. incredibly well. So I, I completely, you know, sympathise with the, the sort of trajectory you've gone through of of having that revelation of no, actually, there's more to him.
2: Mm. Two of the strangest things I've seen him in, and it, it's a prime example of him stretching. His abilities, or trying different movies, or being cast in genres that he wasn't used to. He appeared in a horror film. I think it was called The Mysterious Doctor X or something like that. And it's really bizarre. He plays this mad doctor, and he's got the old wow. uh, the, the white coat, you know, the white lab coat, and he's got his hair slicked back and these dark eyes, and it's very bizarre horror movie. But have you guys ever seen him in a western? No. He is the most unsuited. Cowboy, you would ever. You just cannot. As soon as you, you, you just. It looks like he's in fancy dress. It just doesn't <laughs> suit him being in a western. It is the bizarrest genre I've ever seen him in, and and he did find his niche. That's that's for sure, isn't it? Prior to this, you know, all of those Roaring Twenties type um, gangster movies, and certainly as you said, Steve, the um the detective type stuff, the private eye stuff. You know, and if it wasn't for movies like this. I, th- I think that's all people would remember would be Sam Spade and-, and Rick Blaine in Casablanca, but this and the African Queen sort of really just proved that the man was a bloody great actor. Definitely. Yeah. It's
3: just strange that his most famous film, which uh, is arguably the most famous film, is him as a romantic lead. i just yeah. just not sure i buy it. I mean, he's alright, you know, it's fine, but yeah. Kind of prefer this, really.
2: I'm a massive fan of Casablanca. I tend to watch it every Christmas. It's just one of those movies right. that I do turn to. Um, mm. But that's more of a nostalgia thing as well. Not necessarily it being his best movie. It's just a film mm. that I've always admired. So I, I do tend to go back to that quite often.
3: I think it's also because the the voice has been so imitated, hasn't it? parody. Oh, it's like The yeah. Godfather. You know, it's <laughs> but you can't get more imitated than that voice. Yeah,
2: yeah. Well, the original choice for this, believe it or not, was Ronald Reagan. Houston wanted Ronald Reagan to play it. Wow. Oh,
0: okay. Yeah. Well, I'm glad. I'm glad that didn't happen. <laughs> well, it was lucky
2: because Jack Warner stepped in because he was casting him in another film, so he couldn't actually use him. And then Bogart, you know, sort of got wind that this this role was about, and sort of really sort of badgered Houston, and he got it quite quite rightly. You know, it's it's proved he he, yeah. he it was the right choice in the end.
4: I was just thinking what a bonehead play that old jackass made when he put all his goods in our keeping. How do you mean? I figured he'd let us do his sweating for him, did he? Well, we'll show him. What are you getting at? Oh, man, can't you see? It's all ours. We don't go back to Durango at all, Savvy, not at all. I don't follow you, Dobbsy. Oh, don't be such a sap. Where did you ever grow up? All right to make it clear to a dumbhead like you. We take all his goods and go straight up north and leave the old jackass flat. You aren't serious, are you? You don't really mean what you're saying. Fred C. Dobbs don't say nothing he don't mean. As long as I'm here and can do anything about it, you won't touch a single grain of the old man's goods. I know exactly what you mean. You want to take it all for yourself and cut me out? No, Dobbs. I'm on the level with the old man, just as I'd be on the level with you if you weren't here. Get off your soapbox, will you? You only sound foolish out here in this wilderness. I know you for what you are. For a long time, I've had my suspicions about you. Now I know I've been right. What suspicions are you talking about? Oh, you're not putting anything over on me. I see right through you. For a long time, you've had it in your mind to bump me off at the first good opportunity and bury me out here in the bush like a dog so she could take not only the old man's goods, but mine in the bargain. And when you get to Durango safely, you'll have a big laugh, won't you? Thinking how dumb the old man and I were. You make another move toward me, and I'll pull the trigger. Get your hands up.
1: Come on, get him up!
4: Was I right or was I? You and your Sunday school talk about protecting people's goods. You. Come on, stand up and take it like a man.
1: Come on, get up! Let go of it.
4: Going? Cards are dealt the other way now, Dobbs. Yeah. Well, listen to me. How do you? You're all wrong. Not for a moment did I ever intend to rob you or do you any harm. Just like I said, I'd fight for you and yours just the same as I'd fight for the old man's. If you really mean that, give me back my gun. My pal. Wouldn't it be better the way things are to separate tomorrow? Or even tonight? That would suit you fine, wouldn't it? Why me more than you? Say you could fall on me from behind. Sneak up and shoot me in the back. All right, I'll go first. And wait for me on the trail, ambush me? Why wouldn't I do it right here and now if I meant to kill you? I'll tell you why. Because you're yellow. You haven't got nerve enough to pull the trigger while I'm looking you straight in the eye. If you think like that, there's nothing to do but to tie you up every night. (laughs) I'll tell you what. I'll make you a little bet. Three times 35 is 105. I bet you $105,000 you go to sleep before I do.
2: <laughs> Let's talk about the three leads as we were. Let's go straight to Walter Houston. Anthony's got a lot to say about this guy. I can, <laughs> I can, I can yes. hear him, you know, itching to say something. Come on, mate, tell us about Walter Houston in this.
3: I uh, just, I just think it's fantastic. It just seems a, a bit of a sucker for a kind of a wise man in a film. You know, he's a bit of a, bit of a guru, and he's even got sort of healing powers, doesn't he? Yeah. Yeah. You know, they sort of venerate him almost <laughs> as a god. I, th- I think the things I like about him is, it's very unusual in films like that to have the, the kind of irony you get in this film of, of someone laughing at their own failure. You know, mm. and I discovered a couple of things. The laugh came from. He was in Othello, and oh. it got a really bad review. And when he was reading the review, he started laughing, yeah, sort of ironically, as, ha, ha, ha. <laughs> and, and he and he kept it in the end. And then the dance, I think, when he does that little jig, yes, uh, he was in a Eugene, Eugene O'Neill play, and um, it came up somehow in the script. I haven't seen that play; I can't even remember which one it was. Mm. What great prospectors! Two shoe
1: clerks reading the magazine about prospecting for gold in the land in the midnight sun, south of the border or west of the Rockies. Such ah, a <laughs> trap! Shut up! Or I'll smash your head flat. Go ahead, go ahead, throw it if you did. You'd never leave this wilderness alive. Without me, you two would die here more miserable than rats.
4: I'll leave him alone. <laughs> Can't you see that the old man's nuts?
1: Ah, nuts! Nuts, am I? Let me tell you something, my two fine bedfellows. You're so dumb there's nothing to compare you with. You're dumber than the dumbest jackass. Look at each other, will you? Do you ever see anything like yourself for being dumb specimens? <laughs> you're so dumb you don't even see the riches you're treading on with your own feet. <laughs> expect to find nuggets of molten gold it's rich but not that rich and here ain't the place to dig it comes from someplace further up up there up
3: there's where we got to go up there yeah the guy who can sort of seems to be above everything that's going on around him you know and he could see a bit further and he's and he's that kind of calm likeable but also a little bit edgy as well you know he's, he's just sort of you get the idea sort of effortlessly that he's seen a lot of the world you know
0: and that's what he I says, like about it. He says, doesn't he, when they're, they're in the flop house, and he's originally meeting the other two, and he's giving his, uh, his diatribe about that gold and its corrupting influence, and also the whole, like you said, the left-wing view of value of commodity. But mm. um, in there, he's, you know, he does say that he's gained his fortune and lost it a number of times over. Um, because he's fallen into exactly the same trap as other people, whereby he's got more than enough to live on mm. and he's decided to push it a little bit further, and then the, the bubbles burst. And, and he's, you know, he's worldly experience that he's gone through it so many times, he now just takes it as part of life rather than, you know, let it torpedo him. Yeah, it's almost like he's
3: had some sort of uh, almost like a spiritual awakening, you know, about 50 years before it was trendy to do that, you know? It's like he. He's come out the other side and he sort of realised you need to laugh at life.
2: You know, That's the bit I picked up this time round, because I'm watching that bit, as you say, Stephen, in the flop house, and I'm thinking, how does he convince them to go with him? I couldn't remember. And he's giving this Mm. speech, and in my mind, I'm thinking exactly what you've just said, Stephen. He's like, the man's a failure. He hasn't, you know, if he's he's been that successful, why is he there? But then he does (laughs) give this convincing story that... The obsession, the, the greed, that as you said, Stephen, it's become part and parcel of what he is, and and it's just a, a never-ending cycle. That he, he will happily go through it until he dies again and again, and he just can't resist mm. it, the lure. But
0: the others, the, the others do the classic thing, which he says gold miners always do when they first start out, which is. That they'll set themselves a limit and be convinced that they won't go beyond that mm-hmm. limit, and they'll be able to stop, like a gambler,
2: yeah, you know,
0: um, almost, or or somebody with an addiction, uh, and they. Absolutely, I mean the Humphrey Bogart character more than any of them. is saying no, ad not me, I'd stop, you know, and all this kind of stuff, which mm. obviously transpires he is the one that is most uh, addicted to it all, or, or most corrupted by it. Yeah. Um, mm. But then you know there was an argument he was already the most the most corrupted in the first place, but that's a, a, a different argument. I mean, but we're... certainly the certainly that's how they You know, they they're almost going to prove him wrong that they wouldn't. They wouldn't be corrupted by it. Yeah.
2: yeah. I mean, we haven't spoke about the build-up to this. You know, the, the whole thing where they're both in, in this town in Mexico and, and Bogart's just walking around pretty much begging, you know, would you, would you stick mm. a fellow American a meal, you know, and he walks up to John Houston, you know, three times, basically. And then they get this job, don't they, where they get ripped off by the yeah. American contractor. Mm. Um and, and that's a prime example of you don't shit on your own doorstep because he gets caught out when they go back to the bar and he's there flaunting about in his suit, waving money about, you know. Um, yeah. And then there's a classic example of how we're going to get how we going to get the money to to achieve our aims. Ah, a lottery win will <laughs> do. Yeah, it's just sort of
3: yeah, That was a bit magical, to be honest. <laughs> oh yeah, i won the lottery. It yeah. <laughs> seems to happen like, a bit quickly. But, yeah. yeah.
2: Probably, I mean, you know this? Do you know the story behind that boy? He was in Electroglide in Blue wasn't he and in Cold Blood and there was something about didn't he hire a hitman to murder his wife or
0: something he got basically adopted by John Houston without oh, his right. his wife knowing. Oh him. that's
2: him so right right um,
0: yeah. and he, he didn't takes, tell his wife yeah yeah it takes he takes him home without knowing his wife I mean this is what a pops possibly say burger is his hair if he decided to take that tactic rather than um, trying to have one of his own, uh, get you know, you know what you get in that way if you, you've already got them grown up. But um, well the kid but, was yeah, married a
2: week throughout the film as well.
0: Well, that's it. Yeah, <laughs> so maybe that's where the link comes in. He then got into all sorts of of scripts with in the United States. we get when he was more grown up and mm. you know had a family of three, and then uh, there was trouble, and, and he just basically absconded to back to mexico and became a used car salesman i think it was something along those (laughs) lines or insurance or something his life and trajectory to be perfectly honest would probably make a good film in itself yeah that lad like you say it was was a a plot device to get them out of the hole they're in and and provide them with the money just at the point at which they wanted to be embarking on this endeavor it was just a a bit forced but you know i think we can allow it really because it wasn't wasn't like he made a fortune he, he had a, a a small win just a, just enough to what the knit would need yeah he just got four numbers he, yeah didn't, didn't get yeah. a full six
2: yeah <laughs> and it was it was in lucky number 13 i think was the number that actually spun it for him wasn't it
3: <laughs> right right yeah that's a bizarre story cuz that, that boy was an orphan wasn't he john it's almost like the two the two sides of John Huston. There's <laughs> the compassionate side, and then uh, yeah. just didn't tell his wife. And <laughs> well, I brought home love, yeah.
2: But he, he'd, he'd been acting bizarre. quite a while that kid, because I think he was one of the little rascals towards the end of their tenure sort of thing. Mm. And he was in a series of movies called, something like Red Rider or something. It was like almost like Saturday Morning Pictures, type the kids short, you know, that, that series of movies. Mm. And as I say, towards the 60s and 70s, I think he got Oscar nominated for In Cold Blood. You know the Truman Capote novel. Yeah, yeah. He was in. I think he got Oscar nominated for that. And then he was in. It was a detective series in the seventies that I vaguely remember. His name I can't remember. He was in. And then there's Electroglide in Blue, which is about the motorcycle cops. He was in that. Mm. But there was something to do with it. He was in a restaurant with his wife, and she goes out to wait in the car as they're leaving. He goes back because he's left a gun in the restaurant or something when he returns to the car she's been shot in the head and it turns out he may or may not have hired his ex bodyguard to assassinate her while he was in the restaurant it's, it's uh-huh. a really bizarre story I mean I haven't read up fully on it but yeah one of those great mysteries of, of Hollywood and I think he got acquitted at the original trial but then something came to light a few years later that he'd approached um some a stuntman I think it was to kill her you Know it's just have to look it up, it's a really bizarre story.
3: Oh, these people have colorful lives, don't they? Yeah, um, the other Houston story, uh, you may have heard this as well. Um, Bogart was a yachtsman, does he know that?
2: Yes, yeah, he was, he, he was itching he, to get away, wasn't he? Yeah, he wanted to compete. There was like an annual yachting race, and yeah.
3: the film was going way, way over schedule. And he was he kept sort of bothering Houston, saying, Oh, you know, when are we going to be finished? and who's I think they were drinking or something. Houston <laughs> twisted his nose. <laughs> he did, saying, yeah. yeah Shut he,
2: up. he wanted to compete in this yacht race and he did. Apparently he really twisted his nose and he never mentioned it again. Yeah, that was um, it, yeah. And Jack Warner was getting more and more annoyed because he thought he'd basically was paying for like a B Western that would be over in a couple of weeks. But this is like one mm. of the first major movies in Hollywood history to be filmed on location like this. And it was just going over budget and stretching out and stretching out. And, uh, it's
3: almost that... Sorry, sorry. No, I was just
2: going to say. And when when Jack Warner saw one of the rushes one day, it's one of the scenes where they're looking for water, uh, and this scene is dragging on and dragging on. And apparently Jack Warner leapt out of his chair and shouted at the, st- at the screen, for fuck's sake, just get the fucking water. <laughs>
3: <laughs> Sounds a bit like Jaws, because Jaws was supposed to be a, a quick shoot, wasn't it? Yes. And they, didn't, they didn't really have any big stars, Roy Scheider maybe, but they didn't have any huge stars in it. And that they expected that to be very quick. Yeah. And that went on and on and on. So yeah, because didn't... Um... Well known
2: daryl zanuck and all that like we're on the set you know kept coming down to find out what was going on i mean we spoke about yeah. this in the commentary we did didn't we mate about all the yeah. all the extended shooting schedule that that actually created the masterpiece if it wasn't for that you wouldn't have you know got the movie that we got um, absolutely mm. and what did they say just find the fucking shark find the fucking shark. yeah <laughs> it, was, it was make the shark work in this case use a fucking yeah. whale <laughs> <laughs> Because it's the famous line, "The shark is working," isn't it? The shark is working. Yeah,
3: Richard Rayford doesn't really talk about
2: that much, does he? He's Only... never never mentioned it before. Only every fifteen minutes. At least yeah. in These bitter arguments with Robert Shaw. No, it never happened. It yeah,
3: happened. The, shark <laughs> <is working. laughs> the shark is working. The shark is working.
2: Yeah. <laughs> I've not heard about that. No, yeah. <laughs> that
3: dude, no, he, he never talks about. Yeah,
2: it. We'll tell you about it someday. Or
3: <laughs> well, you can just watch our com- listen to our commentary instead. <laughs> uh,
2: we get a classic tale of greed from now on, basically, guys, don't we? A mistrust, mm. and you know, it all starts off quite rosy and peachy, you know, because he, Walter Houston, evidently knows his stuff. You know, he says, "Don't start digging there because the seam is going to be further up in the mountain, and it's going to be more." You know, we'll have more luck if we go further up. Don't pick up what you think is... Well, they find fool's gold as well, don't they, originally, before they start digging. Mm -hmm. Uh, They set up this wonderfully elaborate way of like panning for the gold by having a constant flow of water coming through. And it doesn't look like gold. It looks like sand, which proves to be quite vital as, you know, we we (laughs) get towards the end of the movie. Yeah, yeah.
3: Um, yeah, because the Mexicans who are all dumb and primitive, um, they've never get, seen gold so. in
2: their life, even though they're surrounded by. Yeah. Them. yeah, and Mexicans are
3: all dumb and primitive. So, yeah, but let's talk
2: about that's with irony, ladies and gentlemen.
0: <laughs> I was going to say, is that a yes. personal
3: view of yours? Honestly. No, no, it's uh, entirely the opposite.
0: <laughs>
3: Anyone no, think
2: this this podcast had been accused of being
0: racist previously, Stephen? For God's sake. <laughs> um, <laughs> <laughs> No, I like, I like the well, I do prefer the 100-meter sprint to the uh, marathon, so. Yeah.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Let's talk about the Bandidos. This is the one of the most famous lines in movie history that gets misquoted, isn't it? Yes, it is. But i do the
3: accent, somebody.
2: See, there again. See, I can't because we get into trouble with shit like that. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but do you know why it was misquoted? Do you know where the misquote comes from? This is my theory. No. Blazing Saddles. Blazing Saddles, yeah. There's the line in Blazing Saddles where they say we don't need no stinking badges. And the actual line is Uh we ain't got no badges, we don't need no badges. I don't have to show you any stinking badges.
3: No, but in blazing saddles, isn't it, we don't need no stinking badges.
2: Yeah, that's the quote that most oh, people oh, right, say. Right, right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and it isn't actually said in this movie. But also, in the book, it was extended. It was it was a oh, bit yeah, more foul mouth, so it wasn't it? it?
0: Yeah, um, uh, it wasn't a, when you when you read it. I don't know, maybe it was I found, I found the quote.
2: Yeah, but, yeah. The, the, the actual quote from the from the book. If you haven't seen this, Anthony says, mm. "Badges to goddamn hell with badges. We have no badges. In fact, we don't need badges. I don't have to show you any stinking badges, you goddamn cabron and chinga tu madre. A cabron, I think, is a stinking goat.
3: It's Spanish for like asshole, but yeah. Is it? Is yeah. that what it is? Yeah, if okay. you say cabron, yeah, okay. cabra is cabra is goat, so it sort of comes from that.
0: Ah, right. And and chinga, I thought ching- I thought that the, the, hmm. the translation for assholes didn't come about as stinking badges. I thought it was stinking passes.
3: Oh. Yeah. Very
0: good. Oh. Literally,
3: big he's good, isn't
2: he? Even day. on a Sunday he is, morning. But I just brush over that because he, he, he thinks he's being clever. It's just...
0: <laughs> Look, somebody has to think I'm clever, and I'm the one, the only one, just me, nobody else.
2: You see, the, and the thing is, you know, he's been thinking about this for days as well, and he's just waiting for the right <laughs> moment. To... <laughs> okay, I'll test your Spanish again because you lived in Spain, sir, didn't you? I forgot. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Chinga tu madre.
3: Uh, to madre is your mother. I don't yeah. know what chinga. Chinga to. I mean, obviously, it's some slur about your mother. You literally,
2: <laughs> fuck your mother. Yes. And that was how oh, yeah, I was in going the ahead. book. Oh, the, and the Wikipedia entry says, which is considered to be extremely offensive.
3: <laughs> it's Foya to madre really in
2: Spanish. Spanish. Yeah, there we go. Right. That's so, what obviously, I always used to say to the Mexicans, <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> yeah. So, obviously, they had to. Uh, Adapt that somewhat, but it has become one of the most famous lines in, in Hollywood history, often misquoted like play it against mm. Sam. And you know, it's, it's just one of those things, yeah. Yeah,
3: what film uh, had put the, the line play it against Sam? Anyone know?
2: Well, there was the movie Play It Against Sam, wasn't there? The Woody Allen, oh, uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. No, I was thinking Moonraker. Oh, yeah, well,
3: yeah, you played <laughs> no, Moonraker, Moon Moonraker. Moon <laughs> Yeah, Roger Moore <laughs> chucks the guy through the, what is it, through like a glass. Like oh, well, in no, I can't remember what it is. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and he goes, play it again,
2: Sam.
3: So, Does he? Yeah. I can't remember that. Yeah. Oh, yeah. God. I love movies. <laughs> <laughs> I guess Woody Allen says it doesn't, he? maybe he doesn't know. Well, the name he of the movie,
2: it. wasn't Is it? He's, he's called Play It Again, Sam, so, yeah. um, and he's got this obsession with Humphrey Bogart. There's this Humphrey Bogart impersonator throughout the whole movie there.
3: Oh, yeah, because that's the idea that um, Tarantino got. For True Romance, when he had Val Kilmer as Elvis. There you go. Yeah, it all goes around, doesn't yes. it? Talking of Tarantino, so, I just did just listen to your episode in Reservoir Dogs, mm. and again, I'm sure there was a bit of influence here because you've got the three guys here, and like you said, Walter Houston's the old knowing guy, and he says, "Well, you might think you're good guys, but as soon as there's money involved, so there's that paranoia, oh, isn't there? That yeah, they're they're almost afraid to go to sleep to go to sleep because they're worried, you know, they could nick the gold and run away, you know." So it's that, is that same paranoia, you know, dishonour among thieves and all that.
2: But this is great, isn't it? The way this develops, you you actually witness the gradual breakdown of Bogart as he gets more and more paranoid and more obsessed. Mm. Whereas the other two, perhaps not so much so. But then there is a, isn't there a point where they all decide to hide their stash separately, don't they? But the third guy is looking under the rock because the the big lizard thing goes underneath it. This is yes, where we really g- get the Gila monster, isn't it, or something? Gila, yeah. And and this is where we get the first indication that the paranoia is starting to really bite with them. I thought you were going to say tequila
3: mockingbird there. Tequila but there's There's no, there's no mockingbird. Actually, actually,
2: <laughs> actually, there was another thing. The, the lead Mexican bandido, <laughs> if you listen carefully, and, and somebody mentioned it in a review that I was reading as well, uh, because his Mexican accent is so thick, so strong, mm. instead of horseback, he, he says the word horseback a couple of times, Yes, says horseback a few times. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> They're on horseback. <laughs> 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 it's
0: a different yeah.
2: film that not it? It's a completely different spin on the movie, isn't it? <laughs> no,
3: there is a prostitute in the film, isn't there? And apparently it it's walk, Sheridan, isn't it? I think. Yeah, it is. Yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> Yeah. She was around, and they said, "Oh, be a la- can you do this just for a laugh? You know, you just have credited, to
2: hear
0: the film she? for two seconds." Yeah, yeah. I thought that. Either. I thought that'd been debunked that it was her.
2: Well, there's something somebody on set confirmed it. Here we go. Many film history sources credit Sheridan for the part, but it's not confirmed officially, as far as I know. Yeah, but it's believed to be her, isn't it? Oh
3: right. I mean, I'd never actually heard of her. So. She <laughs> was
2: in *The Man Who Came to Dinner*. Um, What's the Cary Grant one where he dresses up? Oh, I was a male war bride. She was in the. Yeah. Yeah.
3: i got some huge holes in my film watching, particularly with the older stuff.
2: Oh, we'll plug those for you. Stick so with
0: many, us, kid. Stick with us, kid. And so many films, got enough time.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Here's a fun fact Walter Houston obviously had to speak fluent Spanish. Uh, so basically, John Houston hired a Mexican to record the lines mm. and his father apparently memorised them so well that when it was lip-synced, it completely fooled everybody. They actually thought he was speaking it.
3: Also, oh, Walter Houston wasn't doing any
0: of that Spanish? Nope. In the final. nope. Oh. They have done I, I was, was, was going to say, it sounded very good. Yeah. I, yeah. I, I, thought, I thought it was that he'd, this me- uh, a Mexican recorded it and he basically listened to it over and over again oh, and le- le- learned to say it. So, so it, it, was, wasn't, phonetic, it yeah. wasn't It wasn't limp-signity. He just, he just managed to to imitate what was being said without knowing what he was saying. That so it was his own sense. voice. Um, um, oh, there we go. Yeah, he memorised them so well that they assumed
2: he knew the language like a native. There we go. Oh, wow, that makes more sense, yeah. Uh,
3: right, Otherwise, right. they're
0: picking a specific native that just happens to have the same, you know, tonal. Mm. range as a john houston it, cause it but, isn't, but, me, but in mexico because yeah, it isn't
2: jarring at all is it it actually does sound like it. It makes it, yeah I'll, I'll get it his now.
0: name was his name was juan juan houston juan Houston. <laughs> <laughs> and
2: apparently bogart only do two words of spanish which was dos equis which was the name of a Mexican oh, beer. It. yeah <laughs>
3: can i just tell you a little funny story that's yeah. nothing to do with this film you know paul gascoigne footballer um there was a brazilian called mirandinha or mirandinha who came to newcastle to play for newcastle and uh, paul gascoigne took it upon himself to teach mirandinha some english
2: yeah.
3: so so he he'd say uh, he'd say uh, oh let's practice some english go up to that guy go up to that guy in the street and ask him uh, and I'll, I'll teach you to say what's the time please and, of course, Gascoigne gave her the words, it was like, you fucking wanker. Sort of like that. <laughs> Can you tell me the times, you fucking wanker, or
0: something like that? A friend of mine got suckered with that kind of thing when we were at Six Form College, um, because there was a, a foreign student doing uh, some exchange, and uh, one of uh, our other acquaintances um, gave him a line to be able to go and, and chat her up. And um, it was exceedingly rude what he went and went and said to her. So um, so yes, but he did end up um, having more success than the line should have got him. Uh, because then it, <laughs> then it, then it provoked a, a bit more of a conversation about what was going on and he got then talking to her. So. But yes, so I've, I've encountered that kind of thing in real life. <laughs> Not me, thankfully. <laughs>
3: well, I'm surprised that he didn't do any of those lines.
0: Yeah,
2: interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Um, sounded a lot like him. No, mm. it is him. That's what we've just no, we've just found out it Oh, sorry, okay. I thought it was dubbed, um, but Stephen's just pointing out no, he learnt it almost phonetically and because he didn't know any Spanish, so he's just saying words that he had no idea what he was saying.
3: Mm.
2: Which makes it so even in more the, remarkable.
3: So in the story has that character been based in Mexico for, for years? I'm Is assuming
2: it? so. What do you think, Stephen? I think. Well, it yes, more... yeah. I mean, he's. But does he uh, say something about he's been he's... all around the world as well? Australia.
0: That's it? it. Yeah, when he was talking mm. about his his seesawing of his fortunes, um, and the roller coaster life, his hand of of success and failure, he mentioned being elsewhere in the world uh, as well as other parts of Central and South America. So mm. I think his world. Wiseness is not just on this philosophical level, but I think he's picked up various bits of language from various places, yeah. um, as, as well as picking up things like you know the basic first aid, because he's been in so many places where you, you've not got a doctor close, you're a thousand miles away from a doctor that you, he's got to know how if somebody you know nearly drowns or or whatever he knows what to do to try and revive them, which obviously comes in later on in the film. But that was an interesting touch,
3: wasn't it? The fact that he knew that because it, it did sort of give the idea that he was some sort of healer. You know what I mean?
0: It, it adds to the whole uh, the wise wise old man thing. I mean, mm. there's a bit of a trope, there's a bit of a trope in American cinema where they've got the the wise old black person who gives them some some wisdom and some, some homespun wisdom and and has um, remedies to situations and and that. And even, mm. as I say, it's a bit of a trope. Uh, and mm. this is the same kind of thing where you've got the the old guy who is beyond some of the trivialities which the the two younger guys mm. get caught up on, and which is why he's the the one that's holding them together and stopping them from ripping themselves uh, the, the whole thing apart. Um, and when he's gone, that's when it, it does. But it is definitely that there's more to him than just his immediate story. There, he's got a. a a, a backstory that could almost do a prequel on and, and the adventures of him as a, as a character previous to this you know the kind of young Indiana Jones lead up uh, like TV yeah. series like uh, Manchew the Indiana Jones link I mean there's apparently Spielberg, Spielberg mm. partly uh, based Indiana Jones as a character um, upon Humphrey Bogart from this film so yeah,
3: mm.
0: I wonder if uh, Buster Merrifield ever saw this film you know Uncle Albert
3: <laughs> that's why I preferred Uncle Albert to granddaddy when he feels narcissist because instead of just making him silly it kind of made him a little bit wise as well yeah yeah anyway. and and with a
0: story for every
2: occasion yeah absolutely
0: during the war. During the war yeah exactly <laughs> yes.
2: so as, as we sort of tail off now towards the end of the movie I mean this this is a great last act isn't it you know where Bogart's out on his own looking for water and he comes across the Mexicans again and they they decide to take the uh, the burrows you know not realizing what's actually underneath all the animal skins and we we spoke earlier didn't we about this scene where um no we didn't actually there's the bit before that where he kills um the third guy or he thinks he's killed him yeah. doesn't he
0: takes him into yeah. the, into the foresty bit i hmm. mean he doesn't it, it, it well there's you know we've missed out also the the appearance of um the fourth Uh, The fourth man, yeah. Uh, Not the third man, because that was a completely (laughs) different uh, thing. But the the fourth man who turns up and and kind of pricks their consciences or or brings a bit of... It brings them together, the three of them again, when they were falling apart. They suddenly had something to unite over because Mm. they've got this common enemy. Um, and then they've got a bigger common enemy because of the the banditos. But then that 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 fourth man um, no longer being in the equation, um, it it then separates them even further because of their their response to his character's presence, and mm-hmm. it does lead does you know does lead them down from that point. They they're definitely sure that they're on different paths. Uh, with regards to their attitude towards life and towards money and how much they've actually been bought their humanity uh, and moved away from what is in some ways their work ethic at the beginning and now they're considering themselves to be above that because they've got some some golden sand.
3: Yeah, he's one of those characters that turns up in a film, makes a, makes a point and then leaves, you know. He sort of serves the purpose of making, yeah you know, something to do with the theme of the film and then, because, yeah,
2: doesn't the letter they find in his pocket just sort of indicate that he's doing this all for his family back home? He's like a, yeah. an honest working well, man, basically. Oh, that, that was it, a funny
0: it, bit. It's, it's <laughs> that he's infected uh,
2: yeah. in
0: the same way as from what his wife's letter is. He's, he's infected exactly the, the way that uh, John Houston's character, uh, sorry, uh, Howard... Um, in the film Mm -hmm. how he says about people going back despite failure or going back despite success and he's from the letter of his of his wife trying to say you know we've already found a treasure by finding each other you know you you can come back Mm -hmm. Um, and and him obviously having not done so and ultimately that doesn't end well for him that is another example of the the infection this gold fever puts in the men, um yeah. which is is unfortunately um gonna not gonna end well for some others as well.
3: And there was one there was one funny bit as well, because they, they have this sort of profound moment where they find uh you know they find the picture of his wife, is it Bogart I looks at the wife and says, Hmm, not bad. <laughs> <laughs> is it Bogart or whatever? It? Maybe it's Walter Houston, can't I can't remember. Do it, do and it's, then it's
0: quite it's, it's, yeah, because the the other guy is, is more interested in this uh, sentimentality. But isn't it at the end, who's it survives? Is it Curtain and Walter? Houston yeah, said yeah.
3: you should go off and find the other guy's widow. And sort of happily <laughs> <laughs> <and> raft, <laughs> as if she's just going to agree
0: to that. You know yeah, well, weird. the thing is, you, you've got uh, earlier on when they were talking about what they're going to do um, when the. I can't remember if it's when they're originally talking before they go on the adventure and and what they'd like to do with their lives, or um, yeah. when they're actually talking about when they now they've made the money, what they're going to do. Now they've gone gone back and Bogart's saying about having a shave and having a a, a, a fine you know fine suit and mm-hmm. berating a waiter and stuff. And Curtin, the the um, Tim Holt character, mm-hmm. he's talking about having a farm and talks about the harvest and having yeah. words doing that as a, as a kid, basically, and reminiscing about the, the the life of being around with these other workers and, and more tranquillity of that agricultural life. And then it's mentioned by the, the wife of this fourth character in the letter that the the harvest is coming in and, and, you know, it's the same, whatever produce it was, it's the same as what...
2: Fruit, wasn't it, or
0: something? Kurt, it? Yeah, whatever yeah. fruit it was that Curtin had originally been... So that's the dual attraction. Is it's like he can just turn up there, take on the wife and child of somebody else, um, and <laughs> become this yeah become this this harvester. And despite despite the fact that he's not getting the, the 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 fortune um, that was originally there in front of him, that what he really wanted out of life, he's got a chance of getting if he can just go and talk, um somebody's widow into yeah. accepting him instead you know what was that film right, you could say it's alright love you know he's, he's gone but I'm here so hey yeah. You know, one, one man is, is as good as another
3: what was that film we were watching with the two golfers and the oh,
2: oh, what was that that oh, was Charles
0: and did, Caldicott wasn't it, it was
3: Dead or night, night wasn't it yeah.
0: Dead or Night, night
3: they are <laughs> yeah. all at the bar the two golfers <laughs> and the woman's just fine with going with either of them whichever wins <laughs> 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 yeah you know, um, I
0: mean.
2: Bruce Bennett, who played um, the fourth guy, Cody, that was his name, wasn't it? Cody. Oh, that's it. Right, yeah. um, we saw him previously in <laughs> in a film that I loved by two co-hosts at the time, absolutely hated. He was in Mildred Pierce with Joan Crawford.
0: Uh, well, that's um, a really good film, and I think you know a lot of people should appreciate it. And if you don't, then there's something wrong with you.
2: Exactly. I mean, Char- no, not Charlie. It was Paul and Liam at the time. Absolutely. They they, they still hate me for bringing it to the table. Um, but one of the things I found out while we were, we were talking about Mildred Pierce was that, that Bruce Bennett was originally lined up to play the original Tarzan. Oops. Um, before Johnny Weismuller got the role. Um, and I think it was only say so he had an injury to his back or his shoulder or something that prevented him getting that role so he ended up taking other bit parts before becoming not necessarily like a, an a-list actor but you know quite quite prolific you know in the 40s and the 50s but he could mm. have been you know forever associated as tarzan if, if fortune had played its hand another way
0: and that's sometimes it it's the roles that people don't get rather than the ones that they do yeah yeah if only burt reynolds had got rocky yeah, <laughs> I
3: discovered recently that Reynolds was in he the running for office.
0: well, yeah, exactly. but, he, but he wouldn't shave his moustache. So yeah. <laughs> <Yes>.
3: <laughs> I like the idea of what you were saying earlier. Bogart's character is big. His big ambition is to go and have a shave,
0: <laughs> have another
2: shave, because <laughs> <laughs> it's been six months. But also, was it yeah. did, was it to berate a waiter or something? You said as well, <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Was he
0: he, he, disa- yeah, he says that he he wants to. Have a, have a shave and, and everything and then get a, a real nice suit. Yeah. He wants to go to a fine restaurant and order everything off the menu. And uh, if it's wrong, and in fact, even if it's all all fine, um, he wants to berate the waiter. <laughs> and, you know, obviously somebody who goes around berating waiters anyway is a bit of shit. But, um, it, it should, you know, whereas, whereas the other two what their ambitions are it, it is a lot more focused on less no less less aggressive in, in some ways and, and less um, based upon just the monetary value of things they want to actually have set themselves up for for the rest of their lives and just have a happy life where he's he's more interested in the commodity and status mm-hmm. that the money can bring him and you you could tell that even if he had Ended up living on past the end of the film with uh, a bulk of money. He would have blown, it. either got back into prospecting to just because he was so keen to get even more money, yep. or he would have mm. just burned his way through it and ended up in a flop house having, you know, spent it. Or maybe on yachts, I don't know. But <laughs> um, whereas the others were going to actually go away and and be a bit wiser with their their treasure. Can say mm. yachts with wigs and Viagra,
2: but um <laughs> I, I could see him progressing into sort of becoming a Walter Houston type character. Like he's yes, like, yeah. Twenty years down the line, he's still there, you know, just chasing his tail permanently. So this mm. last twenty minutes, guys, come on, as it all winds down and we get sort of the resolution that you know, that now that Bogart's been beheaded, which we don't actually see, uh, and. Um, the guys, you know, they <laughs> the, the banditos come into town to sell the, the pelts isn't it, the furs mm. uh, and then they realise that you know, they're, they're wearing Humphrey Bogart's clothes aren't they got, one's got the hat, one's wearing the boots
0: Yeah, Yes and when they're searching the, the, the donkeys and they're looking under them, they, they, that's when they notice the boots and the thing is because the banditos have been so blinded mm. by the value of what they consider to have value which <laughs> isn't the real value in things, which is kind of a parallel with the gold and um, mm-hmm. other things in life, the the prospectors not actually realizing what is of true value, but they miss out not only on the fact that the the sand isn't just ballast on these uh, donkeys. Uh, the sand is what the real worth is. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They also don't see the branding on the side of because they're too blinded by uh, the value that they can get. Out of the donkeys rather than the fact they've been branded, which is, as you say, recognized when they're being searched uh, or looked at and appraised for, for purchase.
2: Yeah, yeah, I think that the kid, the Mexican kid, doesn't he, spots it? Was he lifts up a saddle yeah. or something, doesn't he? I think. Yeah, it's yeah. very clever. Greed on all levels, you know, from all angles in this movie, you know, it's it's a great tale. Um,
3: but I, ne- I never saw the ending coming. That they actually fail and basically end up just laughing about it. Well, I laugh, mean, that was, that, that was a brilliant touch. <laughs> I
2: mean. Walter Houston's laugh is just amazing. I want to try and catch that as a soundbite to oh. use at some point.
3: Oscar just for that
2: well did, did he win yeah. the Oscar he did didn't he well it was yeah it was amazing uh,
3: Houston won two Oscars mm. John Houston for writing and directing and Walter Houston won so the Houston family got three Oscars so in was the it same best writing.
2: supporting actor I'm assuming or best actor I can't remember you
0: uh, supporting would say? supporting actor yeah. yeah yeah and you know I said that it was you know the best film he'd ever ever done and that you know when he'd mm. um He'd said to his son, you know, when you get success, you know, don't forget to write a part for your old man. <laughs> and um, they apparently intended to do more but, uh, films together because this had been such a, yeah. a, a great experience for them both. But unfortunately, uh, Walter Houston uh, died not a, a, a terrific amount of time after yeah, a few this, years, uh, this film was done.
2: So he's he's the standout for you, Tony, uh, Anthony, in this the, or to Houston, the Houston out of the yeah range.
3: I would say both the performance but also the character because I yeah.
2: I just didn't yeah there was a lot
3: in this film I mean thank you for <laughs> alerting me to it because it's one of the, I mean also I knew the title and everything but yeah. didn't really know anything about this and I, I don't think the film was received very well uh, because initially of course because Bogart Bogart's fans didn't didn't, didn't like him didn't, <laughs> didn't like the dark idea. character and, yeah and I'm sure that not having a happy ending as well was taking a bit of a risk. Although it's a sort of it's a sort of it's not a happy ending, but it's a fun ending. So they they kind of works on a couple of levels there.
2: Is it part of the yeah. Hays Code where, you know, thieves and robbers can't prosper or whatever. They are not thieves or robbers though, are they? That's the thing. They're just genuine gold prospectors, aren't they? You know?
3: Yeah. Well I was interested as well in this documentary, they talked about Bogart was known as an anti hero. Yeah. And, you know, we talk about a lot about this Easy Rider's Raging Bulls thing. I always thought the anti-hero was more of a sort of 70s thing mm. and that everything was a bit more black and white uh, in those days. But, yeah. yeah. So, I mean, this, this film's really got a lot more depth than I was probably expecting.
0: I think this is an example of, of some of the films that were done earlier in, in cinema, whereby they weren't as successful at the time because mm-hmm. of the fact that they were maybe stretching to have more depth to them, um, Mm. which cinema audiences at the time maybe weren't so attuned to. um, Mm. But they subsequently got the appreciation they deserved, and not only that, they also led on to actually influence other people to do more of the great cinema, you know, some of the great auteurs that we, we will look at are people who look at this film and say, this is, you know... One of my favorite films and they have used this as a springboard for their own creativity because it's got the layers it's got the characterization it's got the depth to it which some of the other films at the time didn't have yes. um and this is why this stands the test of time better than some of the other ones that might have been popular at the time but people have forgotten now
3: yeah definitely yeah uh, i mean i think its reputation is pretty secure isn't it now it's,
0: yeah, yeah it's I got that so. quality
3: yeah the only other thing I wanted to say was uh, just, just for curiosity, I went to John Huston's filmography to see which ones I'd seen. Yeah. And uh, it's quite a bizarre mix. So I've got here Maltese Falcon, Asphalt Jungle, African Queen, Moby Dick, Casino Royale.
2: Yes. yes. Or
3: maybe he was one of the directors yeah, of that.
2: Yeah.
3: Manu would be king. Obviously, he's brilliant. Mm-hmm. Escape to Victory. Annie. Annie. <laughs> is that right? Can that be right? And then Pritzi's Honor, which is a, kind of a gangster film with Jack Nicholson. Annie, but but Gideon's Day. No, I haven't seen
0: that. <laughs> Gideon's Day is a good one as well. Of course, uh, yeah, it's it's filmography. Completely yeah. out of character, yeah. he does a, a British police, police procedural,
2: procedural. Yeah. With Jack Hawkins, have you not seen it, Anthony? We reviewed. No, it no, I haven't. No, you? no. Yeah, John John Houston came over to the UK to do like a British sort of like a Blue Lamp type movie, basically. Yeah. He's very good, David,
0: isn't it? We loved it. It is, yeah. <laughs> and you know, I'm, 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 realising that we've done at least two John Hustons in uh, for um, Real Britannia. We did. it would be king, didn't we? As well. Yeah. So yeah. he's he's close to getting a village hall of fame appearance.
2: Well, what can we do, British wise? Then, if you, what, I don't
0: know, we'll have to have a look and see what else there is. If there's something else shoot you can uh, shoot on in, yeah, yeah. One of the one of the British British internationals, you know, that we talk about. <laughs>
3: yeah.
2: Just did. Mm, sorry, come on. Mate.
3: No, did Houston and Bogart do any other films uh, apart from African Queen? And, did this Houston
2: one? direct Key Largo? Mm, I don't know. Oh,
3: did he? Um, Let's have a look. I know lots of names of these films, but yeah. I don't know anything about them really. Let's
2: have a look. I look. should
3: really get, I might have, I might definitely
2: watch some more Bogart. John Houston, here we go. Right, African Queen, obviously.
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah, he did, didn't he? And that had. Edward G. Robinson and Lauren Bacall oh, I'll definitely be watching that.
2: Yeah, well, It looks like there's at least three. <laughs> Maltese Falcon, Treasures of Sierra Madre and the African Queen.
3: And Key Largo, yes. Key
2: Largo on there, yeah.
3: Beat the yeah, Devil, Beat yeah. the
2: Devil, Bogart was in as well. Mm.
3: Um, Key Largo, Film Noir. Yeah, there's one film that was described as hard-boiled bogey, which doesn't sound that's very That's
2: amazing. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. um, across the Pacific. They worked five or six times, mate. Uh,
3: there you go. Yeah, I think I'll definitely watch Key Largo sometimes too.
2: I've seen that. Um, beat the devil, I've seen. Yeah. It's a great, great double act, isn't it? You know sometimes that directors have their favourite actors. We've said this before, haven't we, guys? Mm. You know? and, and when that just works and that sort of combination gels together and it's something magical, it becomes something that you look forward to, like their next collaboration. Mm. And you
3: think,
2: yeah, it's great. It's like, say modern example, perhaps Spielberg and Tom Hanks or... Scorsese and De Niro. Scorsese De Niro, obviously, yeah. Scorsese yeah. and DiCaprio, yeah. Yeah,
0: yeah DiCaprio, yeah. yeah. Any final no,
3: thoughts, stuff. chaps? No, just a really good film and thanks for, yeah, alerting me to it.
2: Yeah, really enjoyed it. I'm going to watch it again very, very soon. Who said it was... Oh, Netflix Daniel, actually there was one more thing, sorry. Daniel day uh, Lewis. Got, Not sure i totally buy this, but Daniel Plainview, the
3: mm. character from... Um, there Will Be Blood is apparently based on Dobbs. And that came from, uh, well, if you believe what you read, <laughs> that came from uh, Daniel Day-Lewis.
2: I can't see the similarity. No, I can't really either, no. <laughs> I can't see how that's actually related, but Perhaps it was just the, I was going to say the moustache, but he hasn't got a moustache. He's got a beard. Um, <laughs> who knows? Who said it was their best viewing of this? Was that you, Anthony, or you, Steve? Or were you both? I did. Yeah. I did, yeah. And, well, I
3: call this a first watch, so yeah. yeah. But I will revisit it. There's just so many films and not enough time, as we said.
2: I, I, I totally agree with Steve, and I've only seen it twice, I think, before this. Um, and it's just been playing in the background while we've been talking over this last hour or so. And mm-hmm. it's just come to an end. The credits have just rolled, and I'm just thinking, yeah, that was a bloody great movie. It's oh, a, and the
3: music, and the music as well. So I forgot Max Steiner, Steiner isn't it? it? was. He was a of
2: things. Yeah, yeah, yeah very he, music. He was the um, the turn to composer for Warner Brothers through this period. There's a lot of stuff that he did. Um, it's instantly recognisable. It's one of those composers that you can pretty much pick out just by hearing just a, you know, a track of the soundtrack.
3: If anyone can Photoshop a ukulele onto that scene <laughs> of Humphrey Bogart coming out the barbers, that'd be nice.
2: I want to go back... <laughs> Request for the listeners. Yeah, I want to go back and see that to see how far back the wig slips.
0: <laughs> because there's a... Scene... It, but... Yeah, go back to it. No, so I was just going to say, yeah, it, it, when you know the context, <laughs> when you know the reality of his life, you, you, you then start, unfortunately, which I... Uh, for a while after that scene, mm. I was a bit more conscious of the wig, and then after then, I, I <laughs> kind of forgot about it because of the story and and stuff. And it's difficult for me to keep things in my head for two hours. Yeah. But, well, they
2: um... must, must have learned their lesson from the barber scene because there's a scene where he, he finds. That's why they never. The he ne- that's
0: why he never has a shave or, or a wash again. No,
2: but he finds the water, <laughs> doesn't he? He puts his whole head in the water and lifts it on, i thinking, that's going to go, that's going to go, <laughs> and it doesn't, so they've, they've screwed it on somehow. Stapled it, and it on, yeah.
0: Shop. yeah. Well, maybe they used the... Because apparently there's a... John Hughes is a, a bit of a prankster on set, and apparently one of the um, one of the, the actors, I can't remember who it was, one of the, the, the tertiary actors, was quite a glutton for just, like, eating and eating and eating in the, 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 the lunch times. Apparently just before the lunch they decided to have him shoot some scene on horseback on, and, and glued him to the saddle, basically. Um, so, and if it was enough to, to glue a man to a saddle, it, it, oh that God. might have been the same glue that they had to use for the, for the hairpiece um, to keep it on.
3: <laughs> I was going to say, when the Bandidos were stripping her possessions, they missed the the wig and the Viagra, didn't they?
0: Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, they got his boots. Yeah, right. Poor old son. Yeah. They anyway. got his boots.
2: yeah. <laughs> OK, guys, that was The Treasure of the Sierra Madre. We had a little discussion before we switched the mics on. We believe it's Anthony's turn to select the next movie. Yes. Take a quick break then, mate. We'll be back after this.
1: Alto! Parele, parele. Vengan aca todos.
4: Vengan a ver esta palomita que me encontré en su nido. <laughs> Está echadita. Oiga, señor. We are federales. You know, the mountain police. If you're the police, where are your badges?
1: Badges? We ain't got no badges. We don't need no badges. I don't have to show you any stinking badges. They're not coming any closer. No sea tonto, hombre. We didn't try to do you any harm. Why don't you try to be a little more polite? Give us your gun, and
4: we'll leave you in peace. I need my gun myself. Oh, uh, throw that old iron over here. We'll pick it up and go on our way. You go anyway without my gun and go quick.
2: All right. All right.
4: And now preview time when it comes to entertainment you can't beat a good film so let's take a look at what's coming
1: your way
2: There we go, The Treasure of the Sierra Madre. Thanks, guys, for coming along for that. But I believe it wasn't really a chore, was it, to sit and watch that movie this time round? So no. no ah, good stuff. Um, <laughs> you dropped a few hints off air, Anthony. What's in store for us? What are you what are you planning, mate?
3: All right, we're going back to uh, Hitchcock, Alfred Hitchcock. We did do Rope, didn't we, a couple of years ago? I the rope.
2: Yep. yep. Um, I
3: was toying with which one to do. I was thinking about Psycho, but I thought, Maybe a bit too obvious but i'm sure we'll do it in the future but now we're going to go to 1951 uh farley granger and robert walker strangers on a train (laughs) which uh is has got some really amazing images in it it's probably it's fairly highly rated i think among it is probably being the top 10 i'd say it's got some really good symbolism to do with, uh, you know, duality and things like that. Yeah. So, yeah, I think you'll... Um, I'm sure you've both seen it anyway, but for the listeners, I'm sure you'll
0: really love it if you haven't seen it before.
2: Two or three times, Stephen. Probably about the same for you, mate. More, possibly.
0: Two or three, I think. It's not one of the ones I've watched um, most, but I have seen it. Again, I think, like this, we've just watched it there. I think the first time I watched it is probably discounted. Yeah. And um, then I've watched it. Twice, I think, since then, but not like to be honest, I don't think I've watched it for at least 10 years, maybe eight. It's probably about the same, so it'll good to see it again.
2: Yeah, I mean, the thing that's sticking in my mind is the funfair, the amusement park.
0: Oh,
3: absolutely, yeah. yeah, yeah.
2: Um, and always, whenever I watch this, I mean, have you guys seen Throw Mama from the Train with Danny DeVito yes. and Billy Crystal, which is obviously based on it, you know, <laughs> and is it? Yeah. Who wrote Talented Mr. Ripley? It's her, isn't it?
3: Yes, uh, Patricia Highsmith. Patricia Highsmith,
2: yes, based on the novel, yes. isn't it?
3: Yeah, um, and the other thing I was going to say is that for, for 21st century tennis fans, you you will find the 1950s tennis just hilarious.
2: Is this um, the one with the audience? <laughs> it, there's a shot, isn't there, of the, the crowd just going left and right, isn't there?
0: Oh, yeah,
3: that's yeah, famous, that's another yeah. famous, yeah, yeah. yeah. But well, no, just just the sort of uh, leisurely nature of the tennis. And if you look at real tennis from that time, it's quite realistic. <laughs> it's so leisurely <laughs> the way that if you look at the way they go now, Rafael Nadal
2: and everyone they're playing for
3: five hours and it's just absolutely full
2: pelt. They're it's, not yeah. actually playing in like three-piece suits, are they, whilst they're on the court? They? Well, they're not too far away.
0: <laughs> you know. Trousers and yeah. that, that was uh, that was school for scoundrels, wasn't it? That, but, is, um, it? that, was that at that one point he, he uh, deli- deli- deliberately forget. Gets his um, his kit, so he plays uh, in basically his shirt sleeves, uh, <laughs> making himself out to be, you know, a lot more cooler about this whole situation, yeah. which endears him more to the lady. Yeah. Whereas yeah. the the other, one, you know, Terry Thomas, is taking it off awfully serious in his in his whites.
3: Yeah, they're not in the, they're not in three d suits, but they're in this sort of fifties Fred Perry leisure wear. Yes. You can imagine. Yeah, yeah,
2: Looking forward to that. because a <laughs> yeah, no, very good
3: film. Very good film.
2: Mm. We've got um, another Hitchcock coming up, but I think we probably would have put that out before we record it, because I'm recording an episode on Vertigo. You're
0: going to put it out before you record
2: it? Well, it's amazing. It's going to be like... For, for, <laughs> I don't know how we're going to do that. No, <laughs> no, that episode will be out before this particular episode. So there's going oh, right, to okay. be a couple of Hitchcocks in quick succession, like a mini, a mini season of Hitchcock movies, which is excellent stuff, as always. That's it for today. Thank you both once again. Before you go, Anthony, let's hear about those podcasts, mate.
3: All right, Film Gold, no competition to you. (laughs) Uh, Life and Life Only, All About Life, Psychology, Alternative Media, that kind of thing. And glass signing
2: on John Lennon, still going strong. Highly uh, recommended, all three of those, if you haven't listened. Thank you very much. Stephen, Real Britannia.
0: Real Britannia, yes. All things British uh, cinema uh, from the 1930s up until the 2000s. Full gamut of range from comedies to thrillers to um, intense dramas. Uh, You've got people on hunger strike in in the Mays prison versus people deciding that they're going to have an independent state within London uh, with the Lavend Hill mob. No no Wisdom and Ken Loach and Bonds and carry-ons and... Also, the full gamut, in the full range, and we occasionally have the hint of professionalism by having somebody else on other than me like and and yes. uh, Anthony, yeah, sure. Anthony uh, does bring that when he uh, has his now regular appearances um, every few episodes, and we also have the likes of Mark coming in to do the hammers, and thankfully we have Tony, who's our other co-host, who will pop up uh, whenever he's available. Absolutely.
2: And
3: are you still sponsored by the Love Club or whatever they're called? Uh, no, no that's, that's
2: the Talking <laughs> People
3: <laughs> <DNA laughs> podcast. The, 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 the Joy Club. Oh, the Joy Club. Sorry. <laughs> I can't remember if yeah. it was the Love Club or the you're Happy think, Club. You're,
0: yeah. you're thinking of something else internally uh, <laughs> due to battery operated uh, toys. Yeah, because kind of <laughs> I'm so, talking about Viagra.
2: We, we're sponsored by Viagra <laughs> and the world's best known hairpiece manufacturer, I think. <laughs> Rugs are us. The Rugs are us, yeah. <laughs> That's it for this week, guys. See you very soon. Take care. Goodbye.
0: Take care.
1: The management of this theater suggests that for the greater entertainment of your friends who have not yet seen the picture, you will not divulge to anyone the secret of the ending.
4: I'm stupid, infernal jamboree. It's worse than two cats on a fence. You dudes
1: get lost now, you hear? Good night, ladies. Good night,
3: sir.
4: When you feel down, try positive thinking. That's what I told the man said. Don't wear a frown, try positive thinking. Laugh at your troubles instead. You've got to look. On the bright side, on hope so much defense. With your confidence sinking, positive thinking helps you on the way, my friend. When things look black, try positive thinking. Treat every season as spring. No glancing back. Try
0: positive
4: thinking. Trust what tomorrow may bring. This crazy world that we live in. We'll keep on spinning round But with good, strong, positive thinking We'll get together and life won't let us down
3: Shut up, you ugly bitch
2: Oh, shut up, we enjoy it